Hey, if you're new with us, every single Sunday, we love, we love, love, love singing songs to God's glory and, uh, and telling stories of his faithfulness in our lives. And so it's fun to hear from Andy and Teresa Johnson, uh, as well as Tyler and Amanda this morning. Um, so, so thank you for joining us as we continue this journey of Advent. Uh, as Bethany said earlier, we are pausing for two weeks to go virtual uh, as we look forward to Christmas. And I hope you at home are also enjoying, though distant, a Christmas sweater of some kind. So snap that picture. We would love to see your family in some holiday gear uh, this, this beautiful Sunday. So there's a quote for me. That, that strikes up a little bit of what we heard from Mary uh, read through uh, Amanda and Tyler's words. And, and it, it comes from this book, Fierce Conversations, by a lady named Susan Scott. She says this, when you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice. Why? Because that's what's inside. The orange doesn't care if it's on a boardroom table or beside the kitchen sink when we get squeezed, what comes out of us? Whatever is inside of us. And so we're looking at the story of Mary, and Mary is being squeezed right now. Uh, she, she is a, she's a nobody from nowhere, from some small backwater town, and she's pregnant, unmarried. And the view of that in this culture is not looked upon highly. And she is now being pressed. We just heard from this announcement from Gabriel and you can almost hear it in the tone of her voice in verse 26 to 38. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I have a virgin? How, how, am, I, how am I actually going to give birth to this guy? And, and then as she concludes, she says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. And I just imagine this young teenage girl being pressed and then we're going to read some of her words of what comes out of her as she's squeezed. And I hope you hear these words. For me, sometimes I get caught up in the Christmas spirit and I read these familiar stories. Here's the challenge when we read these familiar stories from Luke. We frame it just in the context of Christmas and we miss some of the profound reality of what's actually being said. So I want to read the words of Mary. And some, one of our practices around here, what I love about Hillcrest is we want to continue to pursue God through his word. That we want to sing songs to his to his name to hear stories of his faithfulness in people's lives and we want to preach a sermon that's biblically saturated that gets us into the text and when we end we always want to commission us back to life monday to saturday so i want to read these words the challenge is sometimes when we read them in the context of christmas we get the christmas butterflies and this beautiful warm and fuzzy but when mary squeezed Listen to what comes out of her mouth. And, and like any, any beautiful Christmas, Christmas time, when she's squeezed, she just has to sing. So, so hear it through the context of her singing these words as well. And Mary says this, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Not so much warm and fuzzy, but rather... I think the big idea we're going to see this morning, as demonstrated through the words of Mary, remember this is written to Theophilus from Luke, and Luke is starting to craft a story for Theophilus. And he's beginning with this incredible revolution of Jesus, and he begins with the story of Elizabeth and Mary and the profound meaning of her words, that the only people who experience this truly soul-satisfying joy are the ones that acknowledge their lowly state before this big God. That Luke wants to see from the very beginning, and we're going to see it throughout the Gospel of Luke. We won't see it, but, but Luke continues, those that experience this soul-satisfying joys are the ones that acknowledge their lowly state before the bigness of God. So pray with me as we, as we try and press into Mary's words a little bit more. God, you're so good. We want to continually humble ourselves before you, and we see that modeled in and through the words of Mary. So help us experience that a little bit more fully so that we can experience the soul-satisfying joy that when Mary squeezed erupts out of her heart. Help us hear from you a little bit more fully this morning. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So, We're going to hear this in the words of Mary, and it starts with this idea that Mary declares her soul-satisfying joy, and then she's going to take us in a journey on her song where she shares a little bit of where that joy comes from, and then she's going to conclude her song by just declaring this bigness and direction of God's bigness. So here we go. We're going to start with just this overwhelming, soul-satisfying joy that Mary declares. Here's how she begins her song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Uh, She's making a statement, this idea of magnify. She wants to enlarge something. And so the question that strikes me at the beginning of Mary's song is, is what does Mary actually want to make big? And I find this fascinating. She's not making God any bigger than he is. In fact, she's actually trying to get a bigger vision of God in her heart. She's not trying to enlarge who God is, but instead she's trying to get a bigger vision of who God is for her heart, and it overwhelms her. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I love this C.S. Lewis quote because it feels like it captures a little bit of what is going on in Mary's heart. Read it with me. It should be on your screen. C.S. Lewis says this about this overwhelming joy that's bubbling up in Mary's heart. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escapes me. 
I thought of it in terms of a compliment or approval or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or fear or bothering or boring of others is deliberately brought into check. The world rings with praise. Lovers praise their mistresses. Readers praise their favorite poet. Walkers praise the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children's flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and and uh, capacious minds praise most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praise least. I had noticed either that just men spontaneously praise whatever they value. So they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising that. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist in telling us everyone to praise God are doing what all men do, when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdity denying to us as regarding the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what indeed we cannot help doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. They delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Mary begins her song by telling us how she wants to magnify God and our spirit just overwhelms with this praise of who God is. So what we want to do, Luke is trying to invite us in, we want to ask, where is that soul-satisfying joy coming from? Where does that bubble up inside her from? Where is that stemming from? Mary continues to tell us in her song. So she says, now is going to explain where exactly that joy is bubbling up from. Here's how she continues her song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So here's where Mary starts. She begins by saying God is giving her something she did not deserve. And you just heard me read it. Why is her soul magnifying the Lord? For behold, ooh, Ooh, there's a little slide that's missing in there. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. It felt like earlier when she was framing it, she was trying to figure out what it is. Now her soul bubbles up with the reality of it, that God has looked on her and he has shown her favor that she didn't deserve. There's a reality and a recognition of her humbleness before the magnitude and the bigness of this God. She's not trying to make God any bigger. She's actually trying to enlarge her understanding of how good and incredible this God is. And she continues, God did what only he could do. I just imagine in sixth grade biology class that Mary took, she kind of had some understanding of how this process worked. And she tells us something that only God could do, namely this miraculous birth. Back to the text. Mary says, for he has looked upon the humble estate of a servant, for behold, from now on, 
all generations will call me blessed. Why are they calling her blessed? Because she's going to be giving birth to the Savior. And is doing right here only what God could do, this miraculous birth. Uh, I can't stop bubbling about something taking place in our life. Eden is coming into the world January 7th, maybe sooner if there's an induction that happens, uh, if Casey's induced. But there's something happening in Casey right now that on some level, frankly, I have no flipping clue. I have no clue. I have no clue. Uh, On some level, something happened nine months ago, and then there's going to be a baby born, and all of a sudden, life's going to change for me. But for Mary and for Casey, there's this constant feel of something happening in her. And Mary erupts and says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. As she's seeing and feeling the Savior move in her, there's a recognition of God doing something for her that only God could do. Mary continues, where does this joy come from in Mary's heart? She gives us one more idea. She says this, that this God is unlike any other God. Here's how she says it. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For one, he's looked on my humble estate. Two, behold, all generations will call me blessed. And three, he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. I find it interesting. Uh, For me, sometimes it feels like in the church, Who are the people we elevate? Who are the people that we sometimes praise? It feels like we praise or recognize or try and honor the sports stars or the celebrities. Even within the context of the church. And yet here's what's fascinating to me about the story and the praise of Mary. She's a nothing from nowhere. And yet God looks upon her. Those with their own view of Jesus feel like it finds it it hard to be all in. And those with a full picture of Jesus cling to every word. Mary's being elevated. She's bearing the Savior. And yet instead of proclaiming the reality and the goodness of her life, she backs up and and honors God for his might and his holiness in her life. There's an act of humility that Mary demonstrates that is producing This soul-satisfying joy. And so Mary goes one step further. Where does this joy come from? What's done in her life? But then she even goes bigger to say something about the very nature of who God is. She marvels at the direction of 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 God's goodness. The direction of God's greatness. Here's how she says it. Oh, man. Can we just say this? This is interesting seeing two faces here, a couple faces here, a bunch of empty white chairs, but God is faithful. We keep going forward. Journey continues. All right, I just needed to have that own moment from my life. Is that okay? All right, should I take off the snowman suit? If you guys had like a comment box, you could comment, but we're just going to keep going with the snowman suit. Is that a little distracting to anybody else? So I, I debated. This is, this is how you guys know I, I, I'm thinking of others in my life and, and how considerate I might be. I was thinking about the full snowman suit with the tie, but I thought, you know what, maybe just the jacket this morning. So, all right. Mary marvels at the direction of God's greatness. 
And, and, and it starts with God being merciful to all who fear him. Again, we're wrestling with where does this joy come from? This joy bubbles up in Mary's heart. Where is it coming from? Here's what she says. She moves from that joy to her own experience and now moves to the direction of God's greatness. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And then she starts to, to grow even bigger in her view and her magnification of God. God is merciful to all who fear him and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. All right, Phil, I'm clicking, but it's not advancing. So we're just going to go. And maybe you can advance it. There we go. One more. There we go. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Where's this soul-satisfying joy come from? It's an increased recognition of who we are. The essence of social media a magnification of my own greatness. Well, where does criticism and judgment lie? It's when I put myself above others. Again, we, we make appraisals. Don't get me wrong. We, we can talk about appraisals. But it feels like there's this tendency to begin elevating my own greatness above others. Even in, even in protests, I don't often see people protesting with big signs of their own brokenness broadcast over those signs. Instead, it often feels like a place of judgment upon others and, condemn, and condemnation. What does Mary display in this soul-satisfying joy? That God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She continues, and it's God who humbles all those who are unresponsive to him. And she's writing, you can see in the text, it's written in past tense. And yet here's the beauty of what Mary's saying. It's not this sweet, warm, fuzzy devotion. Instead, this is this sweet teenage girl uh, proclaiming a declaration against the darkness of who God is and how he moves in this world. This isn't just in past tense. It's written in a word that actually has future implications. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And God humbles all those who are unresponsive to him. Here's how she continues. He has shown strength with his arm. And he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. I want to continue to see this direction of where this joy bubbles up in Mary's heart. And it feels like it's this continuing going low of who she is as she proclaims more about the bigness and greatness of her God and who he is. She continues. We're going to keep going. One more. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God lifts up those in need who turn to him. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. So this struck me <laughs> as I sit from the comfort of my own home office thinking about this, uh, of the comfort and security that, that I often live in. And I read these words, God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
and, and I wrestle with the good news. For whom is the good news of Jesus good news? It feels like it strikes those that have nothing, that come with nothing to bring. And the good news of salvation through this Jesus wrecks those that, that come with nothing. But who is the good news threatening towards? It feels like it's threatening towards the self-sufficient, those seeking comfort and security. And the words of Jesus hit me a little bit more fully this week in the comfort and security that I often live in. Ah, where's my self-sufficiency coming from? Where's it coming to bear? Or am I coming with nothing as I hear the words of Mary and, and being increasingly humbled by the magnitude and the majesty of God? Mary continues with one last thought. She gives a, a fuller picture of God's faithfulness, not just now, but she pulls back all the way and sees this God who keeps his promises. She finishes her song. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has, the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. This feels more like a battle cry against the spiritual darkness that exists in our world and a call to those who might be tired of the sin and evil in their own heart and the evil that exists in the world. God is faithful and keeps his promises to those that are humble and recognize who he is and there's a soul-satisfying joy. Now, now, don't get me wrong. We don't see Mary like win the lottery later, right? We heard from Simeon earlier that there's going to be a sword that pierces her heart. It's not that suddenly she got that mansion in Galilee that she always wanted. But there was a soul-satisfying joy that permeated Mary's heart as she continued to go low and see this humble estate. And so here's my encouragement as we go through this Christmas season. I got five takeaways for us. Five takeaways that, uh, that I hope uh, are actionable as we continue to move forward this Advent season. Uh, the first one for me is this idea that uh, uh, when you get squeezed this week, I just assumed we're all getting squeezed in one way or another with whatever might be happening in our culture, even the reason we're pausing today. When we get squeezed this week, reflect on what comes out. Do we, like Mary, cry when we're squeezed? My soul magnifies the Lord, and I rejoice in the joy of my salvation and my Savior. I'd encourage you, whether you're in the boardroom or the sink, the orange doesn't care when it's squeezed. Something comes out, whatever is inside. When you get squeezed this week, I'm going to encourage you, reflect on what comes out too. I don't know if you're anything like me, uh, I sometimes get caught up in, in the season, and, 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 I, and I'll use the word the culture, the cultural part of the season. Right? I'm wearing a snowman jacket, right? I, I asked Alexa to play Christmas songs so I could sit in, in front of the twinkle lights on my fake tree. Uh, and, and if you haven't converted to the fake tree yet, I mean, no pine needles to pick up. And you just spritz some, uh, some natural scent or unnatural. I, well, anyway. I get caught up in the cultural context, but even as, I'm, even as I'm buying gifts, I'm struck by this reality of, 
of who needs all the junk that we just keep piling up. I, I, I know what's going to happen like the first week at St. Vinny's. There's going to be this massive dump of all these other stuff that we've accumulated over the years. Why do we buy more junk? And, and yet for me, there's this tension on how somehow I don't want to separate myself from the culture, disconnect and say, well, I'm not going to put up lights then. I'm not going to buy prisons then. So I still want to engage in our culture, but I don't want to get caught up in the cultural context. I want to keep the celebration in context. Like you heard from Teresa earlier, I do want to pull out more meaningful songs to continue to keep the cultural celebration in context while simultaneously remembering why we're doing this. One way I might encourage you to do that We've been going through Luke this Advent season. I'd encourage you, read and reread the story of Jesus' birth. Just like we read Mary's words today, it comes with a punch of the revolution that Jesus was bringing through a barren grandma and a teenage nobody from nowhere, the lowliest of places, and that is where God chose to bring this massive reality to the world. Read and reread the beauty of this Christmas story. Fourth, uh, consider the mercy that's already experienced and the mercy promised that's yet to be revealed. Mary's words hit me this week as a, as a dagger to the self-sufficiency and the comfort and security that I often insulate myself with. Instead, the mercy that's experienced is not coming to the self-sufficient or the proud. Instead, it comes to the lowly. So we want to embrace and experience and reflect and consider that mercy a little bit more both today, but also uh, I think the mercy that's promised, that's yet to be revealed, to reflect on that mercy that's been extended to those that have put their faith in treasuring Jesus above anything else this life has to offer. And then, like Mary, there was an overflow of praise when she was squeezed. This joy, this soul-satisfying joy came out. I think in the same way, if, if, if we are captivated by this, by this Jesus, my encouragement, commit to an expression of love for someone you know who doesn't really get the meaning of Christmas? What does it look like out of the overflow of praise to express that love to someone in your life? Our, our, our mission around here at Hillcrest, we want to be a people helping people find life with Jesus in mass? And like some kind of declaration from a megaphone, instead, we want to be a people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time. So I'm going to encourage you, commit to an expression of love this Christmas season this week for someone in your life that might not know the full meaning of this Christmas story. Pray with me. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our life. Uh, and when we're squeezed, we want to more fully Declare with Mary from our lowly position, 
We are of humble estate, and it is you, God, that we want to magnify and glorify, not because you're getting bigger, but because in our heart we're having a fuller vision and experience of who you are and the magnitude of who you are. We want to celebrate the beautiful name that is your son, Jesus. We want to celebrate the beautiful name of our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen.